This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear. You guys know I love my NBA. And there's no better place to get in the action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long. When you win, you get paid fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay and try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So, download the FanDuel app today using promo code BOXING. Start making every moment more. Welcome back to another Boxing with Chris Mannix. As always, you can listen to the show live on the AMP app. Just follow Chris Mannix on AMP. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. I wish somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, lot to unpack this week to assist me on this week's episode. Kevin Ioli, senior writer, combat sports writer, boxing writer, MMA writer over at Yahoo Sports. Kevin, what's up, man? How are you? It's a busy week, for sure, when you uh, blend, you know, the, it seems like biannual crazy contract talks in boxing with the NBA trade deadline it uh, when they kind of blend together, it, it makes for uh, a lot of lot going on there. But a lot of fun, a lot of fun. But I, I do want to talk first about this this Ryan Garcia Tank Davis situation. I, I did a brief podcast on this on uh, God, you know what day it is anymore? Tuesday, I think. And you know, just talked about kind of where we are and where we stand right now. Still, as we record this late on Thursday, is that there is still no deal, no signed deal. For Ryan Garcia to face Tank Davis, and that is entirely due to a rematch clause that Golden Boy said it never agreed to. Not specifically with the terms of the rematch. Those are fine with both sides. Percentage splits, all that, how they change if Ryan Garcia were to win. But the being the lead promoter, which is something Golden Boy is insisting on, and which, as the lead promoter, they would be able to use their own broadcast partner, that being DAZN, as the primary pay-per-view provider. PBC is pushing back, Showtime is pushing back, and they are saying, no, 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 it's the same as it would be for the first fight. So, before we get into some details on all this, give me your take from everything you've seen, heard, read, reported on uh, over this past week involving Ryan Garcia, Tag Davis. 
this is all Oscar De La Hoya, right? And, he, and I mean, he's just like if he would have shut his mouth and let the negotiations play out. But, you know, if you follow Oscar's social media feed, the fight's on, we're ready to go. The fight's off. We need this. We need I'm, he's setting artificial deadlines. I mean, I, I blame this all on Oscar right now. Uh, one thing I'll agree with Steven Espinosa on, he said, I think, to Marcos Villegas in an interview that it's not uncommon for fights not to be actually signed until the week of the fight. That was the case in Mayweather Pacquiao. You know, they had that, you know, huge press tour around the world. They didn't sign the contract until they were in Las Vegas the week of the fight. You agree to the terms. But the problem is, you know, did they agree to the terms or did they not? Because Oscar said they did. Like, we don't have the PBC out there talking. We just have Oscar doing all the talking. And um, I think he just created a, he puts a perception on his sport. He thinks he's doing good by saying we're trying to make these big fights. But what he's doing is he's just making boxing look stupid by saying, hey, we have an agreement. Oh, no, we don't. We're close. We're not close. Now he's bringing up Regis Progray. I mean, I, I think if you if Oscar would shut his mouth and not put an announcement out until a fight was agreed to officially by everybody. Then you have a deal. But like I wrote in my column a couple of weeks ago, the fighters basically agreed to all these terms in November. And now all of a sudden, is things changing? Well, so the fighters definitely agreed to all the terms. And to be clear, none of the terms of this fight are changing. This is strictly a issue between promoters and networks. That's all it amounts to. Um, Tank Davis won't lose a nickel in these negotiations. Ryan Garcia is not really between the networks. It's really the promoter. Well, it right? is, but it is between the networks at this point. Because if Golden Boy gets their way, a rematch would be on DAZN pay-per-view. If PBC gets its way, a rematch would be on Showtime pay-per-view. What I said on Tuesday remains true today. Nobody has shown me or even indicated that exists any kind of paperwork that shows that Golden Boy agreed to allow PBC and Showtime to be the lead promoter. Similarly, there is not any paperwork that says PBC or Showtime agreed to let Golden Boy and DAZN take the lead on a rematch. This feels like, Kevin, and this is more kind of my interpretation of everything, but this feels like both sides kind of assumed that they were going to get their way. Golden Boy assumed that, well, Ryan Garcia wins a spectacular, uh, wins by spectacular knockout. Of course, we become the A-side. We will put on the show. Whereas PBC says, well, look, Tank Davis is a bigger star than Ryan Garcia. When it comes to these negotiations, we're going to control everything in all this. It just seems like this was not appropriately discussed before the contracts came. And once the contracts came, that's when Golden Boy said, no, 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 red line right through this. We're not ultimately doing it. That That's the way it feels to me at the moment. I, ju I just look at it. I go, it makes sense. The goal, I, I agree with Oscar from the standpoint, it makes sense. Whoever wins the fight, your network gets to promote the, you know, and put on the next fight. I mean, that just makes the most sense. But even in Oscar's history, right? If you remember, I covered the Trinidad uh, de La Hoya fight, which, you know, was called the fight of the millennium. I mean, that was a big <laughs> fight at the time, right? Why do we Maybe have to think everything? Why do we have to think to put everything in such broad terms? I remember being at right. SI when De La Hoya versus Mayweather was the fight to save boxing. So it's and I wrote a column about your your lead, uh, your cover on that. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean it was it's ridiculous, right? That that was, but the point was that was a massive fight at the time. And after uh, Trinidad won, you know, Don King held a press conference the next day at the Las Vegas Hilton. And he's like, flip the deal, flip the deal. And just wanted, you know, all the terms that De Lohe had to go to Trinidad and vice versa. And Oscar was like, no, 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 this is, I'm the A side. I'm, you know, so now when you look at it from that standpoint, Chris, it's like, he forgot what his personal history was, right? You know, and they, they never did rematch because of that specific thing. Um, but I, I think cooler heads prevail here. I think it's too big of a fight and it's too, they're going to look like, I mean, Hey, this is boxing. So, but they're going to look like total jackasses if they don't get this done, especially Oscar, you know, at least Al Heyman hasn't been out there or Tom Brown hasn't been out there uh, talking about what's going to go on. Uh, but I think Oscar's, you know, all these deadlines and it's on, it's off. He's going to look like a fool. And I think that, you know, uh, everybody involved in this thing, I, it's, I think we'll get it done. Right. I think it's uh, you know, they're trying to use leverage and and, and uh, both sides are trying to do that. And it's the boxing way. And it's one of the reasons why 
boxing is such a wonderful sport, Chris. And and when when you have great fights like this, you you leave with an exhilarated feeling. But we have all this freaking nonsense that that's put on by people outside the outside the ring that just makes you get sick of it. Yeah, there, there's a lot of gamesmanship going on at the moment. PBC and Showtime people are trying to pit Garcia against Golden Boy. Not hard to do, by the way, given their recent history. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I people trying to. I'm getting text messages about trying to get Ask Ryan trending on Twitter. Like, you know, come on, they're just stupid. Uh, my take on this, Kevin, just my opinion here. Um, and again, I know I broadcast for DAZN. If you want to think I'm swayed by that, fine, I'm not. But PBC and Showtime got everything they wanted in this version of the deal, of the, of the fight. Everything. Quite literally, everything. Tank Davis is getting the lion's share of the split. PBC, Tom Brown, lead promoters. Showtime, they are the broadcaster. The zone gets some distribution rights, a little bit of money, but Showtime is the broadcaster. If Ryan Garcia wins by knockout, or wins anyway, and Tank Davis wants a rematch, Golden Boy should get something out of that. Golden Boy should be able to be the lead pro. I don't know why this is so complicated. And I think deep down, deep down is a little bit of the wrong phrase, but I do think that people inside Showtime and probably some people in the PBC world know that. Like, they know that. I understand Ryan Garcia cannot be treated like he's Andy Ruiz. Ryan Garcia can't be treated like a typical B-side where you do everything. Ryan Garcia, look, he's in his next fight, if it's not Tank Davis, he's not going to make $8 million, $9 million, whatever it is Tank Davis makes whenever he fights, but probably get three or four. Like, he's not going to be fighting for $600,000 or less, you know, in the next uh, next fight. So... It's not like he doesn't have the ability to make a lot of money and make big fights. He wants this fight badly, and you can tell he's out there on social media saying, Tank, stop hiding behind Al Heyman, no rematch clause, whatever. Uh, but he he will be able to fall back on lucrative opportunities. And in fact, well, pro-grade being one, but I'm sure there are others out there as well. I... See, I look at this as being something Tank Davis could solve immediately. All Tank Davis has to do is tell Al Heyman or tell Tom Brown or tell people at Showtime, either take out the rematch clause or I don't give a damn about who shows the rematch. Because and why should the fight why should the fighters care, right? I they mean don't. that's they don't, but this is like the thing. Like also if you're Tank Davis what do you, you have got to be incredibly confident going into a fight against Ryan Garcia. You're going to be the favorite. Like, what do you care about the broadcaster for a rematch that most likely will not happen? Like, if Tank Davis. Unless he really doesn't like you, I think he, he shouldn't have to worry about it, right? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I mean, if you're Tank Davis, you're going into this fight thinking you're going to win. And I said this the other day a rematch clause in this particular instance is completely unenforceable. Like, there's nothing you can do. All Ryan Garcia would have to do in order to not take a rematch is be like, look, it's contracted at 136 or 137. I can't make that weight anymore. So I'll do the rematch, but it's got to be up at 140 pounds, which I can make in a healthy way. There's no belts on the line here. Like, right. you can't sue a guy for not being able to make a certain weight. People have tried to compare this to Devin Haney and George Cambosis. Two things are different. One, the, the, the broadcast partner was the same for Devin Haney and Cambosis. There was no issue when it comes to promotional right. or broadcast partner. You know, Lou DiBella and Top Rank worked hand-in-hand hand on all this. No issue whatsoever. And there were belts on the line. So Cambosis got that rematch clause put in, in part because he wanted to make more money, and in part because it protected him and sort of forced Devin Haney to take a rematch in order to keep those belts. And we know that Devin Haney loves those belts. He defines himself right now yeah. by those belts. So Haney also, and this was something that DeBella, Cambosis were wary of after the fight. Haney also could have said, look, 135 sucked. I can't make it anymore. I'm huge. I'm going to 140. Belts, 135 belts don't matter to me anymore anyway. You can have them back. He absolutely could have done that and there would have been no financial penalty. So it's kind of the same thing with Ryan. Like, I don't look at this as being a two-fight deal. In I mean, I, I, and under any circumstances for Ryan Garcia, I think he's taking this fight, 
He's going back to 136, where he doesn't like to be anymore, and then he's up to 140, win or lose, after this fight. So the rematch clause, it's almost irrelevant right now for, oh, for both sides. And Chris, if you think of, you know, I wrote about this a little a little while ago, but one of the things I think in boxing is forget about all rematch clauses and forget about mandatories. And when I say forget about mandatories, what ends up happening is you have a fight that you want to get made, and there's a mandatory that comes up, and so... Uh, one of the you know the WBC or the WBA or whoever it would be stops the, the fight that the public would want to see from happening because they want to enforce their mandatory. And I think if they just changed the rules on mandatories and said something, and I haven't given it a lot of thought recently, but say, you know, you have to fight within one year. You have to fight somebody who's ranked in the top three or the top five in one of the four organizations. And as long as you do that, you remain our champion. Then you can get the fights that you want to have, right? And, uh, you know, so the heavyweight, you know, everybody's excited about Fury and Usyk fighting. Whoever becomes the undisputed heavyweight champion, you're going to all of a sudden have to give up some of the belts because you're going to be a mandatory, um, you know, under a wave of four mandatories and everybody's going to want to have their piece of uh, the pie. But if they work together to change that and they get rid of rematches, then then unfortunately, and hey, look, let's let's just say if we take a rematch clause out of Garcia Davis fight, what happens if they go out there and they put on a good show? The public will demand a rematch. Mm -hmm. The public will want to see it again. And that's when you're going to do business. If you have a mandatory rematch, like like happened, and I understand why it happened in Haney Cambosis, the public could care less about that second fight, right? Yep. Haney showed in the first fight he was the way better fighter. Uh, nobody cared about seeing the rematch again. Everybody knew Cambosis had zero shot to win that. But they went through that exercise again because of a moronic rematch clause. Now, I understand why it was held because it helped. Uh, Lou DiBella and it helped George Cambosis. But I think uh, on large part in boxing, if you just get rid of that stuff, you're going to have a better sport and you're going to get the better fights made more often. And you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to grow the business. And I think that's what we need to see, Chris, we need to see the business grow and not have this bickering. And that, you know, that's why I said, Hey, I, I tend to agree that Oscar has an argument about, you know, if, if Ryan went, but Oscar's yapping all the time, just puts himself in this position. If this was behind closed doors the entire time, I'll bet you it would be done right now. Maybe, although both sides, you know, behind closed doors seem pretty entrenched in this position to the point where I am very pessimistic at the moment that this fight actually happens. Um, I don't believe, and I said this on Tuesday, that Golden Boy would pivot to Regis Progre in April. That is just, I think that's too tough a fight to just transition to after Ryan Garcia has been off since July and he's been focused on fighting Tank Davis. I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think they'll get him back out April 15th one way or the other and move on right now. I, that's why I think this this fight, it's not lip service. I think this fight is but here, in here, jeopardy. Chris, here's one thing to say this. It, 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 let's take the, what to me is the worst case scenario when they move on from uh, from Tank Davis. Disaster. And he, and he has the opportunity with Prograde. And he moves on from that. Ryan loses his bully pulpit, right? Because right now he's out there. I want to fight. I don't want to rematch. I believe in myself. I can beat Tank Davis. Now, if he then turns around and says, and use the argument that you just made, hey, I haven't fought since last July. Regis Progray is, is too tough of an opponent. All of a sudden, you're losing that, you know, hey, I, I have the moral high ground here. I'm willing to fight. Uh, we've agreed to a deal. Let's go. And, and I think he loses that. And he hasn't had the big win. Hey, you know what? You can debate Tank Davis's resume, and I, I don't think Tank Davis has been challenged, you know, significantly in his career, but he has a lot more significant, you know, fights or tougher fights than Ryan has, right? Uh, I believe in Ryan Garcia as a fighter. I think he's a, a tremendous talent. Uh, I think he can do a lot of things, but I think, you know, you have to look and say Tank has and this is not often in the, in the high end of these fighters. Tank has faced a better opposition. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if I agree with that. I think yeah. it's well. Look, you got, who you is can, he faced? Well, look. It's first of all, he's four years younger than Tank, so he hasn't had as many opportunities over his career. But I that's thought, not a matter. Who is he fought? I, I would put Luke Campbell up there against Tank's best win, which was what uh, uh, his hundred thirty pound uh, uh, title fight. Pedraza. Pedraza, right, which was a very good win, and he dominated one by knockout. But since Looked then, yeah. since then, it, it it hasn't been. He's been a like a double digit favorite in most of his fights. So, I know I agree with that. So I said that I prefaced my comment by saying that he's fought. You know, 
the, you know, Mayweather promotions. Well, I don't want to say Mayweather promotions. I'm going to say TBC, you know, Al Heyman. They they protected him and they gave him, you know, and, and from a you know business standpoint, if it was you or I and we'd say, hey, let's take the easier job for the most money. Duh. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. And he made but a ton a, of money, ton of money in the last right. few years. He's, He's done made incredibly well. But you're in a professional sport where it's entertainment and you're trying, you know, and that it's a, a slightly different, you know, if you're a sports writer or you're a mechanic or well, you're going to take the job that pays you the most money for the least amount of work. But if you want to create a legacy for yourself and maybe he doesn't, you know, as an athlete, then that you have to seek out those fights. So but in any event, I just think that Ryan, you know, loses if he if he would pass on a tank. I mean, on a uh, both Tank Davis and then on uh, Regent. I would agree. It would be. A tough. I just think that's what. Go- I'm not saying I agree with it. I think that's what Golden Boy would do. I don't. I do not believe they would put him in Got with it. Regis Progre in in April. I, I think. Look, clearly Golden Boy is trying to protect its television partner, which it has. The television part has invested a lot of money. So isn't Al Heyman. He's trying to protect his relationship with his television partner, which is right now the only game in town for PBC, like Fox is out. Showtime is still in. They are the provider of PBC fights. They pay these guys a lot of money. So he's trying to protect that relationship. Both these promoters are trying to do the exact same thing. I get it. So I I just, I just think the, the reason I sway, the reason I understand where Golden Boy is coming from is the only, Ryan doesn't have a rematch clause. It's just tank. The only way that fight would be at the point where it it would be forced to rematch is if Ryan wins and does something probably does something spectacular. In which case, he goes way up there. He skyrockets after that because he's already a star. He would become a huge star if he's able to beat Tank Davis. So, well, there's three, there's three things, Chris, that you can look at in a, in a, with a Ryan win. You know that he wins the fight by decision, but people disagree with the decision. It was you know kind of a eh, fight, right? He he could win by early knockout, which you think would zoom him up. But I think if he win by you know you just land one punch and you get him. You know, people say, hey, Tank got caught. You know, he didn't really prove it, right? But if he goes and he comprehensively beats him, he's ahead on the scorecards after seven, eight rounds, and he stops him with a big shot in the, you know, in the ninth, something like that. That So all three of those scenarios are different and play out differently for Ryan Garcia going forward. Yeah. Um, look, we discussed this right at the top. I think the simplest solution is take out the rematch clause. And if it's a tremendous fight, the public is going to demand the rematch anyway. And we know they've already agreed to certain splits. So we know it wouldn't be that hard to cobble back together. For now, with only, what, two months away from the fight date? Forget about it. Take it out. Let's move on. And let's get this fight uh, ultimately done. All right. Let's talk about Gennady Golovkin, whose career path right now, Kevin, is very much unclear. Uh, Gennady Golovkin, back in September, lost at 168 to Canelo Alvarez. After the fight, he said, I'll be back. I'm coming back down to 160. I've still got, he said three titles, but he really has two major ones. And I'm going to be back next year. Uh, Since then, we have not heard anything from Gennady Golovkin until this week when it was learned that Gennady intends to or has dropped his IBF title uh, in an effort to not be forced into a fight uh, with uh, Falcoa, who is the number one contender uh, for that belt at 160. I understand why. There's no real money in it. Why would he want to do it? But now Golovkin is faced with another mandatory, with the WBA ordering a purse bid for his mandatory title defense against Eris Lindy Lara, who is the secondary title holder at WBA, which, Kevin, presents the exact same problem. Like, Eris Lindy Lara... Yeah, Eris Lindy Lara is a more known commodity, but there's no real money in it for Golovkin. It's the kind of fight that dies if it's put on pay-per-view. So I'm struggling to understand what his options are. I've talked to some people that know him in the last couple of days. I've heard the plan is tentatively to have him return at some point this summer, but if he's not going to fight Lara, he's going to return this summer as a zero belt title holder, (laughs) which again, if you're Gennady Golovkin, it's not the biggest deal in the world. You're Gennady Golovkin. People want to see you fight. They don't necessarily care about what titles you have. But I'm I'm a little confused at the moment, uh, Kevin, about what Gennady's doing here. It's going to be 41 years old in April. Uh, he says he wants to continue. I think there's still a market for him to continue. He didn't embarrass himself against Canelo Alvarez. And 
you know, he was the unified champion at 160 just a couple of days ago. But do you, what's your take and how do you interpret Gennady's moves over the last couple of days and what his future might hold? Well, I think ever since he changed his team, right, you know, his, you can question his career, right? I mean, um, you know, he went through all those, you know, fights at, at middleweight before Canelo. I mean, he should have been after Canelo right away, but he wanted to keep the middleweight titles. You know, what did he do? Zaremeta, and I forget it, the order of the, the fights that he did. But, you know, he did some bad fights. And, you know, he's he's you go back, other than the recent Canelo fight, look who he fought over the last four years. I mean, nobody's, right? Really nobody's. And I don't understand what, you know, they are thinking in, in terms of how they want to push him. Now, is there any big name out there that would, you know, may, other than Charlo, right, that, that would have made big sense for him over that period of time? But I, I just think that, the, you know, his new, quote-unquote, new team, uh, hasn't done him any favors, and I don't think he's done himself any favors. And I, I, I think the to me the best for Golovkin is forget, especially when you got a WBA belt, right? Especially a WBA belt. Forget about it. Like you know, you're people are going to think you're a world champion. You're a future Hall of Fame fighter. I don't think there's any question about that. Go out there and find an entertaining fight that people are going to want to see and that they're going to like. And hey, let's do it, right? And I think that that's something that, you know, would make a heck of a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, but what, what outside... is that like? What is that fight? Because Golden Boy has reached out. Say... Let me just say real quick. Golden Boy has reached out about Munguia multiple times. Forget about Munguia. They, they, but they've tried to make that fight. And at least that has that could potentially be entertaining. Who is Munguia fight? I don't disagree. But like, I, I think that it have some entertainment value. There's some money in it. And there's a story, right? You know, 2018, Munguia was rejected. Here he comes, former champ at 154. Whatever. I'm not saying it's a great fight, but there's a story there. Jamal Charlo also has reached out his camp about Mr. fighting Charlo. Gennady Golovkin. Like that, that's actually an intriguing fight. Uh, if Charlo can get down to 160 uh, for that fight. Uh, other than that, I mean, do you have other ideas? I, I don't see. I was just gonna. I was gonna throw a name at you. That's kind of crazy, but you got to listen to it, and and I think it would make sense. Um, Earl Spence. Like if the if the fight with uh, Crawford does not get made, Spence is a big guy. And I think Spence could fit, you know, if he came in at 158, right? Gennady's never been the biggest middleweight. Um, you know, I think Spence is a good fight. And you're, now you're talking, you're fighting one of the elite fighters in the world. And we'll see what Gennady Golovkin has next. And I think that would be a lot of interest in that fight. Because you would have it, hey, can Errol Spence handle the power of a guy that's proven to be a knockout artist in middleweight? And on the other hand, you know, can Gennady Golovkin still compete with the elite fighters who were in their prime? There's a lot of questions that would be in a fight like that. So if they don't get the Crawford fight done, I think that gives, you know, Errol Spence a really good fight. Um, you know, and I to me, like, that is is a kind of opponent and that's the outside the box thinking you've got to you know go with um to me like there's hey if he if he fought Arislandi Laura you know Laura had a good uh he looked good in his last fight but I mean who you know who was the opposition right and so you, you have to just sit here and say the public is not going to really be that excited about an Arislandi Laura fight and is Golovkin going to take you know short money when he's running out of fights right I, I don't know that he's going to do that so to me think outside the box and look like I mentioned Charlo at the top when we first started talking about this and I think that's certainly a viable opponent for him but if if he can't get Charlo I think Errol Spence presents an interesting option that and I think that would be something if Spence had you know had presented to him he might be interested oh look and maybe it's not Jamal Charlo maybe it's Jamel Charlo Jamel yeah comes up from 154 in his first fight takes on Gennady Golovkin and what could be kind of a king-making performance for Jermel Charlo. Those are interesting options. I just, like, it, I, I'm going to continue to believe that Errol Spence is targeting Keith Thurman in May. That seems to be the way it's trending, at least, in terms of, of where it's going. Uh, Jermel Charlo is out for the next month or so, at least, while he overcomes that hand injury. Then he has to decide if he's going to stay at 154 and fight the winner of Tim Zhu against Tony Harrison. I just don't know what, like, in the next five months, what does Gennady Golovkin do at this point? I, I don't know. I, I don't know where he goes and what he wants to do. And the clock is ticking. Like, 41 is 41. You know, father time catches up to everybody. At some point, he's going to have to decide if he wants to fight or if he wants to just kind of sit out and hope a big money opportunity comes in the second half of the year. Now, you know, you look at Gennady, Chris, and you, over his career – He's been a big draw when he's been a strong B-side, right? Yep. When he was the B-side uh, to some of these guys, he did really good numbers. But he's never been a big draw as the A-side, right? So, you know, he's gone out there. And I think, you know, you go from that Steve Rolls fight forward, and they've picked 
the incorrect opponent almost every single time, right? I think they've made a lot of mistakes on on who they've picked, and so he it, it's le- it's boxed him in. He's like stuck in a corner right now, and uh, you know, and he has expectations. He's saying, "Hey, I made X, Y, and Z to fight you know these guys. Now, why all of a sudden am I not getting it?" And I I, I think you know that this is a guy and you got to blame him too. I mean, he's the one that put this team together and brought Alina involved and, and the whole nine yards uh, and the new group that's, that's running things for him. But I, I, I think that, you know, Gennady is a guy that still has some star power that people want to see, but they don't want to see him fighting mandatories and they don't want to see him fighting, you know, C-level opposition. And there's not a lot of A-level opposition out there. It's not 2013. He's not just breaking into the U.S. boxing scene where fights against guys like Proxa and Daniel Giel and Curtis Stevens are, are interesting at this point. And he also has significant pay expectations because whatever he thought about that recent TV deal he had, uh, it paid him a lot of money. He made a lot of money to fight over in Japan against Ryota Murata. He made a ton of money to fight Canelo Alvarez in the third fight. There's a fraction of that out there right now for some of these, oh, yeah. these fights, a fraction of it. Um, so he's got to look for that big money fight. Maybe PBC can put together a Jamel Charlo or a Jamal Charlo fight. Maybe, you know, Golden Boy can get DAZN interested in Golovkin against Munguia. I don't know, but it's very tough to see how he moves forward as a middleweight champion, at least. Because the WBA, well, they always change their mind. I know, they're not the most reliable organization, for sure. But if they're going to follow through on this purse bid, well, that's what it is. Like, he's going to have yeah, to it, decide. You know, the problem with Munguia, to me, is like, Four years ago, I liked that fight. I was pushing, you know, at, not not when it was rejected by the Nevada Athletic Commission, but right after that. You know, hey, Munguia looked like a, a, a good prospect and a guy. But they had, you know, you talk about a protected fighter. I mean, this guy is the, might be the most protected high oh, yeah. fighter in the sport. He has fought absolute stiffs. And so now it's coming back to haunt him. So you got two guys, like, you know, if you push Munguia against him, like, you know, at one point I would have made an argument for Munguia. Hey, this guy, you know, he deserves his opportunity. He's, you know, he's looked good in these other fights. Now he's up. He's making a step up fight to Gennady Golovkin. But how do I in good conscience reward a guy that I want to say, hey, I want to reward this guy by giving him a fight against a legend of the sport where he's going to make this huge money for fighting bums. And that's that's pretty much what he's done. Yeah, he could have fought Demetrius Andre at any point in time over the last three years. That would have been a very good fight, a relevant fight, a middleweight title fight. He didn't do it. Um, had some bad luck last year to a certain degree in that the Jamal Charlo fight got blown up You know when those negotiations were going on. And... Not that Shane Mosley Jr. would have been a great fight, but Mosley Jr. Oh. No, but it was it would be would have been better than some of the guys he'd fought that he did wind up fighting, you know, last right. year who were just complete walkovers. I, I'm with you completely. Munguia has to face somebody relevant. Uh, I, I've talked about this at length, so I don't need to go back into it. But they are interested in a Bevol fight. I don't know if that's able to be you know cobbled together in the next uh, you know month or so, but that would be interesting. But Golovkin to me would be the most interesting money fight for both guys. Um, right. And we'll see, if, we'll see if Gennady Golovkin wants to do something like that. All right. A couple other things. I want to talk about Anthony Joshua. Uh, back in London this week for the press conference to announce his comeback fight against Jermaine Franklin. I look, I have no issue with the Franklin fight. The guy's lost two fights in a row. He's been fighting at a high level for a while. Uh, if he wants to get back in, fight three times this year and have one of them be Jermaine Franklin, who acquitted himself solidly in that loss to Dillian White. Fine, get back out there. It's not a pay-per-view. More power to you on on that one. But the question I have is, can Anthony Joshua's career as an elite heavyweight be revived? He is now on his, what, third trainer in as many fights. Uh, Derek James is taking over. AJ is doing absolutely the right thing by taking his act to Texas and going down to Derek James's gym and working out there, getting out of the UK where he is an enormous celebrity, and going to Texas where nobody knows who he is. They probably... You know, walk out, somebody thinks he plays for the Cowboys, Exactly, right? exactly. The Texans or whoever down there. So he may, he's making the right moves. The question is, is Derek James the right guy? You've, you've covered Derek James, phenomenal trainer, I'm, trainer of the year uh, a couple of years ago at least, trains Errol Spence, trains Jermel Charlo, a lot of experience. Is he the right guy for Anthony Joshua? I love the choice. Um, I... 
if it were me, and I I wrote this in a column a while back uh, when he chose Garcia, I think Stephen Bradman Edwards would have been the guy that I think would have been great for for another Anthony. Good but I, another good one. Yep. I think uh, Derek James is a really good trainer and can get the best out of Joshua. I I think you know what we've seen from Joshua really is that is two things. You know, I'm not going to rip him for the Usyk fight because Usyk is a phenomenal boxer a really good boxer and a really tough guy. And so, you know, when you're a big guy that's been used to blasting out, you know, opponents, and now all of a sudden you've got a guy that's tricky, can move, he's got a good jab, you know, uh, it, it, that's a tough ask, right? And, you know, and Usyk showed a lot of grit. I thought Joshua was better in the second fight than he was in the first fight. But I think the two things that AJ is missing, you know, is I think he has to re rely on that jab. His jab is a power punch. And he has to have that jab like a piston. And when you think of, you know, Larry Holmes's jab, I think AJ could does have a jab like that, except that he doesn't use it that often, right? But when he throws it, it's, you know, it's an impact punch. It really makes a difference. And it sets other things up for him. And then number two, I think aggression. Can Derek James bring aggression out of him? I mean, I think he tends to fight. I, I think he remembers that first Andy Ruiz fight, which is the worst thing in boxing. You have to have a short memory. You're a great fighter. You're... I don't want to say he's a Hall of Famer, but a potential Hall of Famer. Um, and you have to go out there and sit there and say, okay, I am going to find a way uh, to win this fight, and I'm going to impose my will on this guy, even though that guy's a good fighter. And so I think Derek James is going to be good at getting him to throw combinations, to create angles. I hope to get him to use that jab. So I think it's a good choice. But I think AJ can be back. I think he could be right at the absolute top. It's going to be tough for him to beat the two guys at the top, right, in in terms of Wilder and Fury because they have far better boxing skills than him. And then you look at the Deontay Wilder fight, which would be a phenomenal fight. He cannot box Deontay Wilder, but can he survive Deontay Wilder catching him on the chin? And that is an intrigue, a really intriguing fight. And, you know, I, I love Deontay Wilder Joshua as a potential uh, fight. You know, I think that would be phenomenal. But I think, you know, to answer your question, I think Derek is a good choice and AJ can get back at or near the top. I think the question I have is can Derek James change AJ's mindset? You know, can he turn him back into the fighter he was before the Vladimir Klitschko fight? Because Vladimir Klitschko and that performance changed everything. You know, it's not the Andy Ruiz fight that changed Anthony Joshua. It's going to war with Vladimir Klitschko and taking a lot of punches and getting knocked down the way he did. He wound up winning spectacularly, but I mean, I've, others have reported this. I have reported this, but he went to his team after that fight and said, I don't want to fight this way anymore. Like, I don't want to be in these knockdown drag out wars. And he's fought with that mindset in most fights subsequent. So can Derek James get into the head of Anthony Joshua and say, look, I understand it's the hit and don't get hit business for sure. But sometimes you got to take one shot to deliver two. And that's the kind of change yeah. I'm wondering if I'm going to see with Anthony Joshua. I, well, I think look at the way, you know, Derek James fighters uh, uh, fight Frank, um, uh, Frank Martin, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and Spence and, you know, and I think he can. Right. And and I think the thing is that sometimes fighters have the thing I want to land, uh, take two to land one as opposed to, you know, land two to take one. Right. right. And I think Der Derek is going to be able to get him, uh, I believe, uh, to get in inside of him to say, hey, how, you know, you can you can do this. You can fight. You know, you may get hit, you know, back. But as long as you're landing the big shots, guys are going to be backing away from you because you have so much power. And he has to show him how much power he has. And I think if he does that, then, you know, uh, AJ believes it in his own mind that he, can, you know, these other guys are going to be afraid of his power. And I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning. It all starts with the jab. If you are banging and firing that jab, uh, and he's got a power jab. George Foreman had that jab, right? When George Foreman was so low as molasses, that jab hurt guys, right? It, you know, they saw it coming and he hurt guys. And I think AJ is more athletic now than George was when he won the title from Michael Moore. And AJ can do better than that. I think AJ, you know, is quick. You know, he's for a big guy, he's really agile. And I think if he commits to that jab more than anything else, you blind somebody and you bring that right hand behind it, you know, you're going to, you, you have the punching power to make yourself a big factor. Yeah, I think the plan for AJ is the right one at the moment too. I mean, Jermaine Franklin, I don't expect him to get knocked out early the way Charles Martin did, but he's not heavy-handed. 
no matter what Dimitri Salida says, he doesn't have as fast hands as Andrew Ruiz. That's not the case. Yeah. Um, Andrew Ruiz does fast hands. Very fast hands. So I, I think fighting him now is smart. I think a summertime matchup with Dillian White is smart. That's a big domestic fight. He can make a lot of money. And the Dillian White I saw against Jermaine Franklin is not the threat that he used to be. The guy's been knocked out a couple of times in the last couple of years or a few years. He's on the way out. He's on the way out. So I think these are two fights where Anthony Joshua can get that confidence back. He may say he's always confident. I don't believe it. I think he needs to get that confidence back with two two fights, two wins, and then go into the last part of this year looking at that Deontay Wilder fight or looking at a Tyson Fury fight. That that would put him in a position to at least be mentally, physically, all the way there when it comes to uh, his own skill set. All right, last okay. thing for you. I want to tap your... MMA knowledge for a moment because the Francis Naganu sweepstakes is white hot right now for boxing. Sweepstakes. Sweepstakes. We'll call it that. <laughs> Deontay Wilder, the latest uh, top heavyweight to come out and say he wants a piece of Francis Naganu. Wilder has suggested a two fight deal where I believe Wilder would get into the cage in that second fight. Not so sure about that. But now, Kevin, we've got Tyson Fury saying he wants to fight Naganu. Eddie Hearn saying he wants Naganu for Joshua. And now Deontay Wilder saying he wants Naganu. I've been on record saying Francis Naganu's boxing career is a one-off. He is a one-and-done in the boxing space right. because you and I both know if he goes up against the top heavyweight boxer, he's done. It's 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 yeah, not going to go well for Francis Naganu. Just, I don't think he beats uh, uh, Franklin. No, I, I don't think so either. People have said, like, why oh. does he fight Derek Chisora in a warm-up fight? Derek Chisora beats him. That's why. He beats him. You don't fight Derek Chisora in a warm-up no, fight. yeah. Chris, I wrote a column, what, two weeks ago about this, and I looked at his options, and and I said, you know, so he wants to make huge money to fight in boxing, but are you going to pay him? When the Conor McGregor-Mayweather fight came out, what people forget about was Conor McGregor had sold, I think it was four or five events in a row, over a million pay-per-views, and over several of them were over 1.6 million pay-per-views. Um, and so that, you know, there made sense to have a fight, right? You look at what Mayweather was doing, and the public wanted to see it. And, and from a competitive standpoint, you and I both knew know now, and we knew before the fight that it was a joke, right? That Connor had no chance, just as if it was an MMA fight, Correct. Floyd would have had no chance, right? Connor would have dented his head and Floyd would have walked out like, you know, looking like somebody like a gargoyle or something. And if you think I mean, if you would, think that boxers, because you don't have a lot of experience or a lot of examples of boxers in the cage, I encourage people to go back and watch James Tony fighting in Boston. I was there for that fight. Cage side for that fight. Oh my God, he had no chance. He got taken to the ground. Who who did he fight? Uh, Randy Couture. Randy Couture. He got taken to the ground in like 15 seconds. No, he fought seconds. one of the great heavyweights of that time. Which is, still, which, yeah. but no, but which is what, you know, Naganu is going to do in boxing. Like it's in, and Naganu is a, a very good heavyweight, at least the top heavyweight at the time in UFC. Like it, it would go disastrously for any boxer who gets in the cage with a top MMA. Oh, yeah. I mean, Francis is a, a powerful hitter, um, but he's, he's not going to have the kind of power that uh, AJ has or Deontay has, you know, I don't even think he hits as hard on a regular basis as Tyson Fury does. You know, maybe he does, but I don't think so. Right. So, but then you look at it and he's going to just get out box silly. Right. It's not even, I mean, I, I think if you put the fight in the United States, let's say would Andy Foster in California approve that fight, I would say probably not. Would Jeff Mullen in Nevada approve that fight? You know, uh, Francis against one of those three guys we're talking about. I don't think they would. So well, Nevada you know, didn't, to- I mean, Nevada improved, approved Mayweather McGregor. Like, right, they did, but now they learn, and also it's a different executive director now, true, and a different and a different commission. And I think you know that this fight has to go to the Middle East, right? I would think, right? Sure. That's where they're going to get the kind of money. Like uh, Tyson Fury can't come to the U.S., so if it's Fury, it's going somewhere over there. Um, and Francis thinks he's going to get the money, but look, Francis is headlined. Uh, is it two or three pay per views? I don't know if you. Uh, yeah. He headlined a pay-per-view against uh, Cyril Gaon. He headlined a pay-per-view against uh, Stipe, well, two against Stipe Miocic. So he's been in three UFC pay-per-view cards, and they've all done in the 300 to 350,000 range. So who is out there? Like MMA fans weren't buying Francis and Gaon fights in huge numbers. Boxing fans don't know who the hell he is, and they know he doesn't have a chance. So God bless him. I I, I want to see him make the money. But who's going to pay him? So maybe there's somebody in the Middle East that's stupid, 
that'll and, and it has 40 million dollars or 30 million dollars to throw away and that th they've done it before that'll pay him that but i just don't find it um very likely chris and i think if he does like you said i a hundred percent i a million percent agree it's a one and done he's going to get destroyed he's going to you know and he's what 37 years old 36 37 years old so it's not like he's got a long career here look i well, look, I, I do think the Middle East would be interested in that fight. I think the Middle East is not, and I'm talking specifically about the United Arab, Arab Emirates, and I'm talking about Saudi Arabia. I don't get the sense that they're looking to do like live golf type you know, events with boxing where they're doing six, seven a year. I think they're right. looking to do big time events. And Naganu against a top heavyweight is a big time event. So I do think the money would be there for that fight. I'd take Wilder out of this because I don't, you know, PBC doesn't do fights over in the Middle East and I don't think they have the relationships or infrastructure to necessarily do it. Uh, so if you're Naganu, you, you like after April when AJ is going to fight and presumably Tyson Fury is going to fight, you tell Frank Warren and you tell Eddie Hearn to send in your bids. You give, like, treat it like a purse bid. You get, you send in a piece of paper with a number on it for me to fight your guy and I'll do it. Either way, he's going to lose. Like, you can say maybe he's got a better chance against AJ because AJ's been dropped and knocked out before. Uh, whatever. He's still going to lose that fight one way or the other. Maybe AJ knocks him out because he has a little bit more one-punch power than Tyson Fury. But you have to maximize this. You've got to make every nickel off this you possibly can. So say to Eddie, say to Frank, what do you got for me? I'm ready to go in August of this year. I'll, I'll, take the, I'll fight the biggest bidder and their fighter out there. So the the question would become when when that happens is what does the A side get? So the A side is obviously going to be the boxer, whoever it is, right? Um, and so if you're going to pay Francis, let's use the figure thirty million because I know he's used that phrase at, at some point in the past. If you say Francis is going to get thirty million, what are you going to pay Tyson Fury? Who who if the fight happens would be the undisputed heavyweight champion yeah. at that point? So you're going to bring the heavyweight champion in the world into a fight against a guy who's never had a pro boxing match and you're going to pay that guy 30 million Ty Tyson Fury what is he going to ask for 150 million I mean he may but like I think Tyson Fury would ultimately take the maximum possible offer he would get because he knows this is easy work like this is right. the easiest payday he's ever going to get same thing with Anthony Joshua he's going to make well in excess of 30 40 million to do that fight just take it, man. Have an easy day at the office. I think Tyson Fury would carry Nagano for, for a while. Like I, I think he'd you know have a little bit of fun with it early on because, look, as big a hitter as Nagano is in UFC, he's just not going to be that kind of puncher in boxing with bigger gloves. And he throws well, yeah, he throws so wild at times, too, that you know, Fury's going to see all that coming. This is, this is not a puncher's chance situation, in my opinion. Well, and, and yeah, and, and remember, see, because of MMA, because of what they have to defend and how they have to, so they have their punches come from different angles, right? And and it's not going to be the same, you know, type of thing. And he can't set things up with kicks, and he can't set things up with a threat of takedown. Like when you have a threat of a takedown, when you're fighting a guy that's a wrestler that has good boxing in MMA, that makes your boxing so much better. Francis, you know, now you know doesn't have that going into a so. Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, do not worry, have to worry about getting taken down. All they got to worry about is staying out of the way of his right hand. And I, I just think he's going to be slower. He's not going to be as precise. Um, and where, like you say, what is the percentage that is wearing a 10-ounce glove compared to a 4-ounce glove? How much is that going to diminish his power? That's going to diminish it quite, quite, quite a lot. Um, you know, so I, I think that it's... Um, it's sad, you know, but France, Francis would be better off finding an MMA gig. But even then, he doesn't have a lot of choice in MMA because of the two main companies that could pay him. I don't think he's better off with an MMA. I think he should do this. Just go into it knowing you're going to lose. <laughs> I just, it's, but it's, you fight, do athletes think that way? Elite, no, they, no, of course not. Nagano was going to think in his head that he's got half a chance. That's why, like, my gut feeling is that it's Fury. You know, Fury, if he beats Usyk, undisputed champion going up against the UFC heavyweight champion there's a lot of money potentially in that and if you're someone representing Naganu, and i don't even know who's doing that at this point but if you're someone repping Naganu, um better chance of him not getting hurt against tyson fury than aj or deontay wilder like 
Fury might decide to like box him. And you can walk away from a fight like that saying, look, I want the distance with the heavyweight champion of the world. Like, at least there's, you know, Pyrrhic well, victory. Say this. Let, let's case. say this. If, if, let's rank them in the three, the order that would be the safest and the riskiest with uh, for Francis. Oh, Fury, so number yeah, one, safest. I, I think, you know, Fury would be the safest. The riskiest is going to be Deontay because, you know, hey, he might have a chance to, you know, Deontay not be in the boxer that the other two guys are. You know, he might have a chance to hit Deontay, although I doubt that, right? I don't want I don't want Deontay thinking that I'm saying Francis Ngannou is going to beat him because I absolutely am not. But if he has a chance to land flush on any one of those three guys, Deontay would be the guy, right? But it's riskier for Francis because I think Wilder is one of the hardest punchers in the history of boxing. And you're going to tell me that you, as a non-defensive boxing fighter, Francis relies on offense. You're going to go out there and you're going to let yourself get hit by this guy. Yeah, and <laughs> he and look, he had Tyson Fury in trouble. That's let alone Francis and Yeah, against one of the greatest heavyweight pure boxers of all time, Deontay Wilder still caught him three times in two fights. Right, like uh, in the last two fights. Uh, <laughs> Nagant, and, and twice in the first fight. Right, twice in the first fight. So five times total in, in their matchups. Yeah. Um, and Tyson Fury has great head movement. Nagato is not going to have great head movement in that fight. It's going to be a no. sitting duck, and Deontay's going to find it, and he's going to knock him out. So, yeah, I'm with you. Fury, AJ, Wilder. And that's, frankly, the order I'd put in most likely at this point. I'd say Fury, AJ, Wilder is is where I'd go. Uh, read Kevin's stuff over at Yahoo Sports. Follow Kevin on Twitter, at Kevin. Uh, Kevin, good to talk to you, my man. Thanks, brother. Good to talk to you as well. And when we come back, my conversation with Oshaki Foster. All right. Oshaki Foster is a 130-pound contender. On February 11th, he will attempt to win his first world title when he takes on Ray Vargas at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. It's a fight you can watch live on Showtime. And Oshaki joins me on the show. So let's start with the obvious question here. Oshaki. How is it that someone comes by the name Oshaki? There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. <laughs> I honestly don't... I... <laughs> I honestly don't know. I just know. Uh, I just know it was supposed to be Oceanique. 
Uh, it was supposed to be Ocean Neek, but uh, uh, they they spelled it wrong on my birth certificate. <laughs> so I honestly don't even know the backstory about it. Wait a minute they they spelled it wrong on your birth certificate. Yeah, it was supposed to be spelled Oceanique, but uh, they ended up spelling it Oshaki. I like I said, I didn't even know it was uh. I didn't even know it was Oshaki until my first fight when I was eight years old. And they, they announced me as Oshaki. I, I was thinking they messed up my name, but uh, on birth certificate, that's what it was spelled like. Uh, <laughs> How have I never heard that? I, I've been following you for a couple of years now. How have I never heard that version of it? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like Everybody from my hometown know me as Oshneek. They know me as Neek, but everybody in the boxing world know me as Shock, as Oshaki. So it's just it. It was kind of weird to them. They like, you know, we thought your name was Oceanique, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So you're standing there in the ring, eight years old, and you're introduced as Oshaki, and are you just kind of looking around going, wait, that was a mistake? No, I got mad at my coaches. I'm like, yo, they they, they, they spelled my, I mean, they said my name wrong, you know, so <laughs> it was just one of those things. So you grew up in the Orange, Texas area. Um how did you get into boxing? Uh, I used to I used to watch it a lot, you know, at my at my pop's crib when I was younger. But um, I followed my older cousin to the gym. Him and him and a couple of my friends that was around the around the uh, neighborhood. They was always older than me, but uh, just you know, just wanted to see what what they was up to. And uh, you know, we all we all had our first fights and everything on the same day. And, and I'm the only one that won. So it was, it was just kind of crazy for me. Yeah. And, and I know you had like a lot of people uh, issues with the Olympic boxing program. You, you thought you were going to earn a spot. Wasn't that 2012 team? Is that how it played out? 2012 team. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? You fought Jojo Diaz at the qualifiers, right? Yeah. We fought in the finals. Um, a lot of people thought I won, but they gave it to him by three points. So it was, it was, it crushed my dreams a little bit. But I, I, I never really, I didn't know how big what the, the Olympics was. Like, um, now I grew up watching like the world champion, so I always wanted to be a world champion. But um, I felt like I didn't take that opportunity uh, serious enough. I was 17 at the time. When I qualified, I think I was 16. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and and like that's a difference between you know when you decide to go pro, like two different paths. Like if even if you don't win a medal, if you're an Olympian, you got promoters and managers and yeah. people trying to sign you. When when even if I mean you came this close to being that Olympian, but I'm guessing it was a lot more difficult for you to get noticed by by key people. Right, right, and I was so like stuck in my ways. I didn't even go like. I didn't even go help the Olympic team. I didn't go to the Olympics and I had a chance to do all that because I was the, I was the arsonist. I just was like, you know, they robbed me. Forget that. Uh, I'm done with amateur boxing. Uh, so it, it was, you know, I didn't, I definitely didn't know how big, I didn't realize how big the opportunity was at the time. Do you regret that? Yeah, for sure. Because I didn't, like I said, I didn't. I didn't take the opportunity. Actually, I was I was training hard for it, um, and then I was forced to come back to my hometown. Uh, I was forced to come back to my hometown, and as soon as I got back to my hometown, I jumped right back into, you know, the bad stuff. And I didn't even go into. The, I went into the trials, like I wasn't even. You know, I, like I said, I didn't even take it serious, and I, I still went to the finals and did what, you know, was an alternate, but I definitely regret not taking that opportunity like I was supposed to. So what are those first few years like for you as a pro? You win some fights early on, but then it's like, what, 15, 16, you lose two out of three. Like, what are you thinking about boxing at that point? I really didn't, because in the beginning, like, like you said, I didn't have any big promoters. I from a small city, just wasn't really, I was fighting on small shows, wasn't really making any money. So, it, you know, I just really didn't see the, 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 the big picture of it, you know? Uh, and that first loss, like, a, 
we didn't have no gym in the city. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even really like prepared like I was supposed to, you know, no excuses, you know, but that it, it was just all that in one. So what, what changed for you? What, what turned things around for you as a boxer? I just moving away from my hometown, uh, getting with a team that, that, that we was on the same page that fully believed in me. And, uh, and that's all around with the manager, the trainers and everything like that, you know, uh, I, I I never was I, in the beginning of my career. I was I wasn't ever in that position, you know, to be able to choose my team, choose the manager. It was always thrown in my face, you know. So it was that kind of that kind of situation. And did, could you feel yourself, you know, kind of improving over those years, you know, especially in these last couple of years where you beat Alberto Mercado, somebody I just saw this past weekend, um, you know, fighting. Uh, you beat Miguel Roman. Could you feel yourself kind of growing as a fighter? Yeah, uh, most definitely. Um, I knew after I had went to Pennsylvania and beat uh, – I forget the guy's name. When I went to Pennsylvania, they they, they Alba. They Alba. They Alba right yeah, after Frank DeAlba, yeah. Yeah, then right after that, I went right to John Fernandez. So I knew I knew it was it was a different – it was a different for me. Um, you're going into this fight somewhat inactive. You know, you, you fought the end of 2020 on the NBC series. You got one fight in 2022. I know you were dealing with some promotional issues along the way, but like, how, how sharp do you feel going into this fight? Cause you're going up against the guy that that's pretty sharp, at least at the weight class right below you. Oh, I, f- I feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sharp. I feel like I'm ready to go. Uh, it's crazy because uh, we both we both only fought one time in, in 2022, and and I think he had a two year layoff too, and and things like that. So um, I definitely feel sharp. I feel like the layoff it just helped my body get 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 more rest, and and I, I never stopped training, so I got sharper, you know, uh, sharpened up my tools, things like that. So I wasn't, I, I don't feel like it's gonna be a problem. You've been trying to get fights like this for for a few years. How tough was it to to kind of land you know one of these kind of opportunities? Uh, you know, social media has made it made it made it easier for guys to duck. Made it easier for guys to 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 you know avoid some of the best fighters. But um, I just knew if I stayed patient and I stayed um, beating these guys that they put in front of me, that it, they would have no choice. When you look at Vargas, like how tough a fight is this for you? Vargas at 126 was a really big 122 and 126, a really big guy. Now he's at 130. Is that how do you look at Vargas? Uh, I feel like he's the smaller guy coming up. He's always been the bigger guy in the ring. Um, I feel like that's what helped him a lot. You know, being a bigger guy, the taller guy. Um, I'm used to that. John Fernandez was five eleven. If I could, if the guy fought in uh, Costa Rica, he was like five ten. But I'm I'm used to fighting tall guys. Uh, I spar guys that's all the way up to sixty eight. Um, so I I feel like it's it's I'm the bigger guy naturally. Um, but being that he's a two time world champion, and everything I don't take nothing away from him. I feel like uh, it's gonna be one of the biggest tests of my life. Does this? Does a world title feel at all to you almost like a second chance at the Olympics? In a way, it's like the Olympics would have opened a lot of doors for you, like we talked about. A, a, a world championship will kind of do the same thing. If you, if you win that title, all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of possibilities at 130 at other weight classes. Does it feel at all similar? Yeah, most definitely. But the difference is, uh, I'm not letting this opportunity go over my head. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm ready. Uh, I've been fully focused on wanting this um, since, you know, for the longest now. You know, I, I definitely feel like it's it's the, it's the same opportunity, but bigger. Well, Shaki, good luck to you, man. I you really jumped off the screen in that last NBC Fight Night uh, appearance. That was a real coming out party, I think, for you. And I'm glad to see you uh, getting this opportunity, man, to get a, a world title shot at 130. Good luck on the 11th. Thank you. I appreciate you, bro. 
when we come back. This week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. Well, football fans, FanDuel has the perfect way for everyone to get in on the Super Bowl 57 action with a no-sweat same-game parlay. That means everyone gets bonus bets back if your Super Bowl SGP doesn't hit. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or you already have an account. Same-game parlays let you combine all your favorite bets for a chance at a bigger payday. So start building your own or just bet a popular SGP already made for you in America's number one sportsbook. You can bet quarterback over rushing yards, running back anytime touchdown, wide receiver over under receptions, whatever you want, you can bet it with FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, sign up with my promo code, promo code BOXING when you download the app. I know football, boxing, a little bit different, but use the promo code BOXING. Either way, you'll get bonus bets back if your no sweat same game parlay doesn't hit. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Time now for this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. This week, I am locked in on the Showtime card. Ray Vargas, Oshaki Foster, vacant 130-pound title fight. This is a very competitive fight. Vargas, a former two-division world champion. Oshaki Foster, he is someone that's popped onto the national radar over the last couple of years, shown great power. Very, very, very good fighter. Right now, Ray Vargas is a slight favorite. He is minus 152. Oshaki Foster at plus 120. I like Ray Vargas in this fight. It is Vargas moving up in weight to 130 pounds. He still is a 126-pound title holder, but Vargas is big, long. I think he's going to fill out that frame really well. And as we saw when he fought Mark McSayo, he just is a really good boxer. And I think he's a little bit better as a boxer than Oshaki Foster, whose best way to win, I think, is going to be power. Ray Vargas by decision or points. That's at plus 105. I'm taking that as well. I think he just wins what's not going to be a lopsided decision, but I think a unanimous decision against Oshaki Foster. So take Ray Vargas to win. Take Ray Vargas to win by decision. Those are my picks brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Kevin Ioli and Oshaki Foster for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.